0: This is the last week in what we've been calling Life Together, a series that we really, in response to the Easter message, that Christ is risen and that the power of the Holy Spirit is now being ignited to uh, give that reconciling power to his disciples. And, and so much of the Easter follow-through is how the disciples are brought back together to bring people into the family of God. And so we took time as a church to discuss what a proper response to Easter would be, not not just individual or personal, but as a church that wants to live in the resurrection power, we realize that that happens as we reflect the community of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we'll end that series today, uh, week one, Father, week two, Son, week three, Holy Spirit. And today we'll talk about really the commencement of the disciples graduating into how they can continue in this message, something I hope all of us will listen to Um Before we get into John chapter 15, next week we start a new book of the Bible... a a book study that oftentimes I find the summer months as we all go forth and conquer in our own shifting dynamic of living in the city of Boise and having kids out of school or having just more sun hours to enjoy. um, I always enjoy the the summer months to find something for us to look at that is less story driven, more of the wisdom of the Bible. So we're going to be looking at the wisdom teachings given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes and the, the design of that Book, really, if you were looking for a theme the, theme, the theme that we're looking in the lens of Ecclesiastes is this is not new. Nothing new under the sun. The book of Ecclesiastes reminding any stage of life, any season that you're going through, any cl- uh, climate of our world, which is a good reminder for all of us right now, this is not a surprise to God. The, the wisdom by which he founded the earth will get us through any political or tension-driven climate of our world, uh, any season of your life, nothing new under the sun. We look to God and his wisdom. And so we're going to do that throughout the summer in the book of Ecclesiastes. Very excited about that. And I've asked Tom Velasco, who's teaching our Through the Bible on Wednesdays, to try to find a good counterpart. Uh, we're going through the book of Exodus. We're going to pause the book of Exodus At the wilderness. So, uh, Tom will get us through the crossing of the Red Sea, and then we're gonna drop off the children at the wilderness, and we're gonna start a new book of the Bible. In the same way, we can look at what we're going through in in the world and say, Don't worry, this is not new. God's wisdom will endure, and He'll give us the strategy for all of it. Uh, We can also look at a book of the Bible and say, well, what is this? And we can try to make uh, or allow the Word to give some of that light unto our feet. And so I've asked Tom to go through the book of Revelation for us as a church, and he'll be doing that on Wednesdays through the summer and probably beyond. So... Starting June 15th, we'll be in Revelation, but starting next week, we'll be in Ecclesiastes. So feel free to begin your uh, reading plans around those so that you can have good, solid uh, understanding or questions going into the coming weeks. But for now, we're going to look at one final chapter in the Life Together series, Community in the Image of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. Today, we start in John chapter 15. Last week, we looked at John chapter 14, the promise of the helper, that no matter where you are in life, God will give you things that are beyond your strength and wisdom and understanding, and then he will not leave you as an orphan. No matter what happens, God will give you the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit to give you what you need to succeed in his call. And that brings us now to John chapter 15, as he will put all of his disciples... At ease. They've they in this context, we're before the cross, but we're we're marching towards it in the story of the Gospel of John. And they're asking a couple questions to Jesus. They've just, they're in the upper room and they've just been told a couple for them alarming bits of news. One is that Jesus says that he's returning to the Father. And Thomas uh, chimes in and says, Wait a minute, we've been following you for three and a half years, and now you're leaving. Where are you going? And Jesus gives them an answer that was confusing to them, but he's going to explain it in more detail now by giving them an allegory of a plant. And we'll look at that in John chapter 15. The other question that came up in that upper room discourse was that Jesus warned them that someone in that room was going to betray him. That someone that had been following Jesus on those years of ministry and helping with all of the ministerial duties of passing out fish and loaves and helping teach and preach the coming of the kingdom, helping to administer the different things that Jesus needed for his preaching and teaching, one of them was actually not with them. And they're all looking around wondering how that could happen. He's going to address that as well with an allegory, of a plant. And we're going to look at those uh, couple questions for our own lives. Uh, I've noticed that, and we've discussed this before, we can sometimes be very quick to want to check the the box. We we can do that with our, our big celebrations, Christmas and Easter. God is with us, check Christmas. And the tomb is empty, check. Now let's get on with it. And We can do that same thing right now. It's like we want to be a church that exists in more deep relationships than a sanctuary can provide. Let us dwell together in community. Let us reflect the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect community in the way that we love one another. And we spend three weeks on it and I'll see you next year, check. And there's something that Jesus is going to do to ease the the nerves of his disciples that all of us need to hear for those same questions in our lives. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus in a shifting world? When the ground from under your feet seems to be changing, when your context for hearing the words of Jesus in your church context for the young people that are being sent to new areas, when things shift politically, when things shift in our world and we're not a- a- as used to the new normal as we once were, how do we continually follow Jesus in changing times? Because the times are a changing and there's something that we can find great joy in that but we like the disciples must answer those questions well what does he mean that not everyone is with us in the changing times of our world what we will find is that not everyone who was in the the air-conditioned version of the Christian sanctuary will follow and endure until the end that includes some of us that are here now And what it also means is that not everything we're doing now is the standard by which we're going to know Jesus moving forward in a changing world that we live in. So what does it mean as our world shifts or as your context changes to continually follow Jesus? This is in some ways the graduation for the disciples. He will go on to say in this passage of scripture, You know, you're no longer just servants. You're no longer just people who I'm giving assignments to and tasks to 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 help me in my ministry, earthly. He's going to call them friends. And in the same way, they're going to shift from students to teachers, they're going to shift from followers to people that are, are going to lead. And the shift is coming for all of your lives. As you truly hear the message of Christ, you will be invited to be born again. It will be a graduation to your concepts of God where you no longer are a listener examining the way of Christ, a listener or a visitor to a church and thinking about what it means to be a follower, but you graduate into the, way, the same way the disciples are now going to take part in the ministry of Christ with roles and responsibilities. And so it is for all of us at some point. The ground will shift under your feet. Sometimes it will be from outside circumstances, like the world we live in now, that the the church is shifting in a glorious way. Sometimes it will happen just for the seasons of life, and and what you knew about following God will shift. And today we look at an answer in one of the most rock-solid passages of Scripture in the Bible that I would give to a student leaving to college, a college student now entering the workplace a believer in 2019, now a believer in 2022 and the shift that has happened, what remains? And this is what Jesus will give his disciples with the questions on their hearts. Why do some not make it? And where is he going? He says to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. We now get, in ways that I always appreciate in the teachings of Christ and in the unfolding of the New Testament, something that we can visibly see for a question that is sometimes hard to understand. Jesus says, think of the vineyard. And in in first century Palestine, it would be a lot easier to think of a vineyard. We don't have to drive far to see some vineyards. But he says, look at that. And this is the question answered in an allegory, something that you would look at and see a relationship forming between the vine dresser and the vine and the branches that would help us understand what we are called to as disciples of Christ in shifting times. He says, I am the true vine. And if you only make it this far in the message, this is one of those tools that you must hold on to, a bit of theology that all of you should know. As times shift, there is a true vine of life. The, the life that Christ comes to offer the world, he says, it's in me. It's not simply a strategy to life. It's not the wisdom that Jesus teaches so that all of us could unfold before our plans and our ideas ways of Christ that we would somehow do well by. He says, I'm the vine. You have to to somehow abide in me, remain in me. Even as he prepares his disciples to depart and send the Spirit, he says the key is understand that you are just a branch from the vine. And for the young people, for your commencement into the world that awaits you prepared by God, there will be so many opportunities to test the vines of this world something that might give you life, something that maybe gives you an identity, or something that you could give your life to to do what Jesus says, bear fruit, be successful, victorious. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. There are all sorts of alternatives. In the context, the disciples hearing this, and maybe the way that we should hear this for our time, there were a lot of people in the day that Jesus came onto the scene that had a way of life. And their way was very religious. Jesus spoke more to the religious people with their ways of how to live well before God or how to have righteousness, the right life, in the religious world than in the non. And Jesus says, it is me and me alone. The truth And this is what we did last week to violate culture. We'll do again, Christian and worldly culture. Jesus, just one chapter previous, helping us understand how narrow it is to find life in God, says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And there are all sorts of branches that will grow from the vine, But it is the vine and only the vine that has the life-giving power for growth. And then you have a, a distinction that will be made. It says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. What we are doing today is we pray watering the branches of the vine. For those of you who accepted life in Christ, last week we we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit giving you life, a free gift that God gives for anyone who asks, life in his name. You are now a branch of the kingdom of God. It's like you got corporate office and you got all these branches popping up. And Jesus says, those of of you that are in me, the vine dresser, the father, will prune. So that's one direction that will, will happen to the plant that comes off the vine. And this is a moment we can recall the context of our series. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son is the vine, the Father, the vine dresser. The ministry of the Father to care for the plant, to provide, to nourish, to give. The love of the Father, week one in our series. And this is good news for all of us who need the reminder, God is for you. He loves you. He does things in your life that sometimes seem mysteriously difficult. Allows us to go through trial. Allow his church to be refined by persecution. Allows the disciples to fall down and experience the grace of God, forgiveness, and to get back up. And he does the same thing for your life. And I'll remind you of that throughout this message, that this is a message that is bathed and encompassed by the love of God for you. The vine dresser loves the vineyard. I hope I appeal to some of you who would consider yourselves vine dressers in your backyard gardens, in your flower beds, in your indoor plants. I know those of you who have the green thumb can now relate to the heart of a vine dresser that you love the well-being of your produce. And I will remind all of us that this is how God feels about us. We, we recall, to the Gospel on the Ground series through the book of James. James chapter 1, James 101, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, of his own will. We circle it, we underline it, we remind ourselves that it is the will of God to be the Father. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creation. He loves to see His people grow and bear fruit. He loves to prune you the same way the green thumb prunes the garden, to pull back what is not necessary. Sometimes in a mysterious way, but trusting that the good Father of His own will does things for our lives so that we may bear fruit in our lives, the first fruits of His creation. And then there is another reality that happens from the vine dresser that there are branches that grow off the vine that never bear fruit. Eventually, Jesus will say that they cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse four, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's an underlinable verse as well. I hope that that's something that you would hide into your heart as you consider all of the things on your list this week, this year, and the, the long bucket list of goals. As we have the commencement for our young people to go forth and conquer. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We sure can try, though. (laughs) Last week, we talked about the need for the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit being the forgotten God. Why? Because if we live within our own means if you live within the comfort of the sanctuary, if you live within just the listening audience, if you take God's word at advice but not commands, if you love according to your definition and not according to the obedience of God, you probably don't need the Holy Spirit. So I shared a story in my own life, the reminder of my need for the Holy Spirit in a moment of crises, stranded in an airport. God, help me to lay down my life for my family and for the family I want to serve and a wedding for the church I'm trying to get back to. God, in crises, I'm reminded that I am weak, but you make me strong. And this week, we take it one step further. This week, we say, it isn't just for the stranded airport moment. It isn't, the vine is not simply giving you the strength to obey and listen to him for those radical moments when you're thinking about moving your entire life to the mission field for the the real radical times when you're thinking about changing everything and and repenting radically and and doing anything for God and making your vows to the Lord that you'll look back on as a memorial stone. For the Holy Spirit, you you will need the Holy Spirit for all of that. But Jesus says, and by the way, you can do nothing. You can't bear godly fruit from the vine of Christ without Christ. It's a very good reminder. I was... The, uh, the other day I was signing my daughter in for one of those trampoline jump parks, which are both dangerous and fun, which I guess all danger is a mixture of that. And I'm signing away my daughter's life. I am her guardian. Go ahead and she can do whatever she wants and I won't sue you. And then it said emergency contact. And I said, well, of course I'm that too. I'm her father. I'm her caregiver, I have the rights to her life, and I'm also there if she needs me. But as I was filling out the emergency contact, I realized that is almost how we understand the Holy Spirit. Apart from Christ, I can do most things, but in an emergency, please call the book of John. (laughs) I need the Holy Spirit now. Reference my emergency contact. Oh yeah, Holy Spirit, the helper, come. The Holy Spirit is your helper to do anything, to abide in the life of the vine, to bear any godly fruit, to experience anything in your pursuit of Christ and in your call of Christ and in the joy that he calls you, it all requires the Holy Spirit. And as soon as you take one step away from the power of the vine breathed into you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are now getting closer to a dead branch. And this is what Jesus says. Those of, the, those of us in the vine are bearing fruit and being pruned. This is your life. Enjoy the fruit. Trust God in the pruning. And those of us who needed to hear the message that some will betray, there are only 11 disciples for this moment in Scripture, as he called 12. There will be one example to remind all of us that not all who are with Christ bear fruit till the end. Some of them become dead branches. Judas had already fled to make other plans, to look for life in another vine. His was some silver. We all have things that we'll look to to be a life in another vine. And Jesus says, those branches don't get pruned, they get cut off, which is true. Dead branches get removed. This is a reminder and a warning. It's a warning for all of us who think that we can follow Jesus in the comfort of our physical capabilities, unless you are born again. Unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot be part of the kingdom you will eventually be a withered branch that came close to the vine but never found life in the vine. We must be born again. We must make that simple childlike prayer like a child asks for food from a father, the the desiring of the life of the vine, say, I need the Holy Spirit, and it is freely given so that you can experience the life of the vine so that you experience fruit and you do not wither. That's the warning. Here's the reminder. There are branches that get removed all the time. To our shock sometimes. Because sometimes a dead branch can, name, can wear the name pastor. Sometimes a dead branch that, that was close to the vine was someone who gave you great influence of the vine. And I've been around the, the Christian world long enough to see so many people love the branches more than the vine. And when you fall in love with a dead branch and it gets removed, you yourself will tremble and fall. But I love that branch. I love that branch that, that taught me the word and said so many beautiful things that cast out demons in his name. I love that branch. That branch was so smart. There's only one life-giving vine You must abide in the vine. All of the branches will be pruned. They'll be pulled back. They'll be given the genuineness of their faith through trial. And some of the branches that we wrongly look to will be removed. And as we think about how we remain, how do you live through changing times or go to a new city or find a new Christian community? Remain in the vine. You can go with the power of Christ anywhere. If there's one thing that would bring joy to my pastoral heart, it was that you would fall in love with Christ apart from me altogether. I will not be a pastor forever. That you would fall in love with Christ apart from all of the wonderful trappings of the religion of our day. These are all amazing blessings that the vine grows out. Fruit of buildings, and we have fruit of stages and worship bands, and we have fruit of amazing songs. We have fruit of sermons well dissected and shared well. But if you fall in love with the fruit of the branch, you miss the vine. And it is only the vine that will sustain you. It's only Christ. Christ alone, your solid rock, you must stand. And so now we shift towards this promise. If you're in the vine, you get to bear fruit. Uh, there's another moment of the gospel just to, be, just to be introduced to the sanctuary once again this morning. Christianity is not some, simply something that we believe in so that we have an assurance for our soul someday. Now that's part of it. We have a hope of heaven. We have confidence that our 70 to 80 years will be a blink of an eye. And when we meet the Lord face to face, because of the blood of Christ covering us and the vine giving us life, He will say, Enter into my rest. But today, God made today beautiful. This is a day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice in today. And He gives us seasons to bear fruit, season by season. Uh, like a tree planted by the river. And so the allegory of the plant is helpful. The plant will be used to make wine. The vineyard will be pressed and crushed. The grapes will be turned into something. Season by season by season. And along the way, there is fruit. Along the way, there are seasons of agricultural that bring us reminders that it is something that we are supposed to enjoy in our lives Now. And to abide in Christ means that you bear fruit. So Jesus will let his disciples in on some of the ways that he is giving them confidence that by the power of the Spirit, they can remain like a branch in a vine to him. And in their remaining, they can be confident that even though they don't physically see him, they know by the guarantee of the Spirit, breathing life from the vine, that they are in Christ, bearing the fruit of Christ. He says in a chapter previous that it is better that he leaves because they'll do greater works than him. Not greater in quality, but greater in scope. They will do things in his name to continue the mission that they fell in love with behind him. And so will you. So will these young people that we send into the world. So will the next generation of Bible-believing, God-honoring, Jesus-following disciples. It is not simply to keep the lights on and tell everyone about heaven and grit our teeth until we make it. It is to experience the fruit of the vine. And so he shares some of those things. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. One of the first things that Jesus will point out as the fruit of the vine in your life. Christ is living in you now. He's abiding in you as you abide in him. It says that you will ask. That God truly does become a father. There's one thing that I never had to teach my kids how to do, and that's ask. <laughs> it's like they came out ready to ask. I never had to sit them down and say, listen, if you need anything, let me know. I'm here for you. I got you. I didn't have to convince them of that because they have life in my name. And by God's design, a child will grow up with a desire to ask. And one of the benefits bearing fruit for the child's life is when they realize that their father, even though in my flesh I'm evil in my natural ability, I'm not a great dad. But they trust that because I'm their father, they can ask me for anything. And that is one of the fruits of your life. When you abide in the vine... There is a relationship that grows and grows and grows like a a branch growing from the vine in your ability to commune with God. You begin with a simple request. God, I want to know you. God, I, I can't live my life on my own. The beginning of salvation is a plea. And then as you abide in the vine, what Jesus is inviting his disciples to believe in is that the father, the vine dresser, the one that cares for the vineyard will provide for their needs, will give them what they want. As we send people into the, the world that God is still reaching for his kingdom, one way that you will abide is in the vine is in complete dependence to say, Father, once again, I need you. Father, once again, I need you to provide for my life then he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give you. And we, we, we walk our tightrope, lest we think this is the license we finally got to the section of the Bible that we have the vending machine God. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever you guys want, now you know how to ask. When you're in the vine, you really are, given the desires, the line with God's will. Jesus asked on the garden of the enemy we looked at last week, If there's any other way, let the cup pass. But his desire that superseded his own trepidation of the cross was the will of God. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And in that name, we pray to the Father and he gives what we ask. There's a shift that happens as your relationship grows more intimate with God. Just like there's a shift that happens in other relationships of your life. There was a shift in the way that I asked for food in my own life once I got married. Because I had a classic bachelor's diet. And some of you are bachelors and I want to go to your house and eat food from your pantry. Because I miss it. One of my favorite meals <laughs> before I got married, my, like my meal to just set me up for a great day until the salt kicked in was Top Ramen. <laughs> and... Now that I have a new way to think about food based off a relationship that formed with my wife, I'm no longer allowed to ask for that in my name. <laughs> this, my wife's rule is you cannot eat beef that comes in a powder. That's just not allowed in our household. And so now I have new desires. And with new desires come new ways to request. And I now know how to live inside of the will of our family's paradigm. And same with you. You now know how to ask God because of the vine that you live in. You now no longer ask selfishly for God to give you what you want. People talk about the sinner's prayer, which there is a a repentant prayer. That's maybe a better name for it. The sinner's prayer is make me rich and beautiful. That's the prayer of sin that calls out to the universe or the force or the vending machine God and say, before I really tap into the vine, can I just get what I want from you? And that prayer shifts towards asking things in the name of Christ in the way that he would ask approaching the cross. There's another way that Jesus emphasizes the fruit of communion with God through prayer in verse 15 and 16. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things I heard from my father I have made known to you. You now know how to ask. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give you these things. I commanded you that you love one another. Second time, he says, One of the fruits of the vine that, that you tap into the life of Christ living in you is going to be communion in prayer with the Father. But he says this time, before he reminds you of that, he says, by the way, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you. Which is true of the disciples that he's speaking to, isn't it? He, in the gospel accounts, we get these moments where he has a one-on-one with a disciple or a few of them at a time and he says, drop your nets. I'm going to make a I got a plan for your life. Leave your family. Leave your vocation. Follow me. He's choosing them for the mission of creating a a, a team of disciples that would become apostles with roles and appointed positions that he has for them. Now, not everyone that he invited to follow him followed. There was a rich young ruler. He said, Leave everything, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. The man walked away sorrowful. He got close to the vine but he never found the life of the vine. But he says to you that have asked for the power of his spirit to be born again, I chose you. God is sovereign over your life. This might, again, offend the culture we live in, but your choosing of your own life isn't as important as you think it is. God made you. God created the DNA code that gave you all of the attributes of your life. God put you in the position of, neighborhood, and job, and campus, and church, and family. He says, I chose you for that. Now abide in me, and with that in mind, ask me anything you want. And then he says also, and love one another, fulfill my commandments. To abide in the vine is to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a hammer in the emergency glass that we break in case of an emergency. Because We are not asked to abide simply from crisis to crisis. He says, think about the appointments of your life. So I listened to that verse and I thought about the appointments of my life. And he chose me and appointed me to be a son and a brother, a neighbor to my neighbors in Boise, Idaho in this year. He put me behind this pulpit for this season. And he says, now what do you want? Ask me. Well, with that in mind, under the desire to love him, not according to my words, but according to the obedience that he's called me to, I want to abide day by day by day for all of the appointed positions of my life to love by the power of his spirit. And so last week I shared a story of being stranded in the airport. This week, my wife left town. (laughs) And my life wasn't a crisis, it was just, my fatherhood knob got turned up to 10. And I'm thinking about this passage of scripture. And I look at my kids and I say, Lord, remain in me that I can live out the appointed call for the people that you've entrusted me to. Remain in me by the power of your Holy Spirit so that the branch that comes off your vine would bear fruit that they would enjoy that I would be mature as a father who lays down my life for my kids. And then I think of this moment, this Sunday, this second service. I'm opening the word, and I'm thinking, you appointed me and you called me, at least for this Sunday, to share the truth of your word, that there is no life apart from your name. And I will be a branch of that message to these people, Lord. But this is not a crisis. This is not an emergency This is just the reality of what God has given me the opportunity to remain in him, that my words would not bear no fruit, but they would bear fruit because of him in this place. And I share all of that so that you would hear a message. He chose you. He appointed you. Your life is not random. You have neighbors. You are brothers. You are sisters. You are husbands and you are wives. May your fruit be a blessing to the people that God has called you to. I want you to bear fruit so I can be blessed. I want to see thriving relationships from husband to wife, father to son, mother to child. And you don't get to bear fruit apart from the vine of Christ. But in Christ, you will bear much fruit. You remain in Christ You remain in his word, and his word remains in you. You allow the helper to be more than an emergency, but to be your life source. And your children will see fruit-bearing parents. And your neighbors will see fruit-bearing reconcilers from Christ. And your communities that are being formed will see fruit that all of you get to enjoy. Remain, remain, remain in Christ. He says ask anything and it will be given. He says one of the fruits is prayer and the power of it. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you would love one another as I have loved you, that your joy would be full. These things I've spoken, this is the purpose of his commencement speech. Let us remind ourselves the reason that we open the word. And we need the reminder all the time. For me, it's not simply to study so that I don't look like a buffoon when I share it. And for you, it's not simply to study so that you know the proper theology that you're hitching your wagon to. The truth takes you somewhere. I am the way and the truth. The truth of Christ, the truth of the vine, the truth of the allegory is taking you somewhere. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you would have joy. A message that the word in other places says, taste and see that the Lord is good. A message that I would love to give to the generation that will replace all of us. The world wants you to take a bite of the apple because maybe, just maybe, there's something better than the will of God has to offer you. But the message this morning is Jesus says everything not so that he can simply grow disciples, bigger churches, bigger movement, more money in the tithe basket. He wants you to experience the joy of the life that he created you to live. The joy of knowing him. And this is a reminder for all of us, the simplicity of this message is almost too profound. As the Father loved me, I also love you. You read it and it's like, okay, tell me the the message. Let's get to the bones. More meat. God loves you and he wants you to remain in his love. That's the joy of your life. The joy of your life is that God loves you. There's nothing you can do to change his mind and that he wants us to be reflection of love to one another abide in that reality that's what jesus is getting at with his disciples because everything's about to get really challenging for them they're going to break up they're going to split up they're going to run away they're going to deny they knew him the mission is going to end life is going to get challenging for you as the world shifts as the context changes The core of everything we believe is that God's love remains. And one constant will remain in your life through the ups and the downs and the confusing and the hard. God loved you first. Remain. Believe it. That every day is a delight. That he delights in you. He says that whatever you ask will be given to you, that my Father is glorified through you. Fine dressers, you know it's true. You love your plants. You are plant people. You you care for them and when you see them blossom and when you see them bloom, it's a delight for who you are. Parents, you know that it's true. The father is glorified when the children succeed. As this season shifts, one way we're seeing graduation happen is also in our little Calvary Christian school. We had our school program. I love school programs. I especially love the kids that go wild and just run around, but that's a sidebar. This school program was a reminder of the Father's love. To see something that you love bear fruit brings delight. I was sitting here, and all the kids came up to sing First Through seventh, It's a collection of various talents, let's put it that way. Your kid was the best, though. (laughs) My favorite part was turning around and seeing this middle section full of parents getting ready to listen to their kids sing a couple songs as first graders. Harmony is like this. It's like, okay, it's not the best. And yet, this was like a sea of paparazzi. cameras and flashes and look over here. I just wanna show you and like sending messages to grandparents and live stream and people are watching from afar because there is great delight when someone you love bears fruit, even the tiniest amount. And this is the joy of your life to live under the love of God. And as you bear fruit, you realize that God loves the way that you are growing in him. I tell you these things that you would experience joy and that your joy would remain. Built into the messages for the last four weeks has been a constant call from Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a message of abiding to see this beyond a personal lens. I mean, you think about everything we've talked about. This is the picture of a vineyard today, a vine with all of these different branches coming off and, and bearing fruit, and the fruit is enjoyed by others. And, and throughout all of this, Jesus says the unifying teaching is that if you love me, you will obey. To obey, you need the Spirit. To obey, you must listen to the Father. To obey, Jesus must serve you as, as he brings you to the Father. But this is not a message that we can do without each other. It's really hard to love one another alone. It's really hard to be in relationship that allows us to experience the fruit of serving one another in our appointed offices alone. This is a call for us to abide in the vine in a way that allows for the vine to have many branches. You are called to more than an individual American dream. You are called into the kingdom of God, and it is not a call to remain alone all of this requires you to hear the call. Love one another. And that is why we end this series in this this particular moment of preaching in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That is the thesis of the vine. He says, all of this for them. He says, you don't even know what I'm talking about yet, but you soon will. We know what he's talking about. He's saying, if you want to abide in the vine, watch what I'm about to do. You want to abide in the vine? Another way to put that is abide in the cross. There's no greater love. There's no greater fulfillment of the commandments than to lay down your life. The cross As Jesus says to the Father, nevertheless, your will be done. Laying down his life was an act of love to the Father. And laying down his life for his friends, a friend of sinners, for you. The cross was an act of love to every person who would believe in his name. And the branch cannot be separated from the cross. To abide in the vine is to abide in the cross. To abide in the joy of the vine is to abide in the promise that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That the cross is foolishness to those who don't abide in the vine. It makes no sense. To believe in salvation through death makes no sense. But for those of us who have listened to the message of the vine, and he says, watch this. This is where the vine dresser is most glorified. As I lay down my life for you. And we listen to the message. To abide in the cross is to to abide in the vine is to abide in the cross. To love one another is to lay down your life. To be in community that represents a glorified Father, the Spirit in us, requires us to abide in the greatest love, which is the cross. And so I hope that removes some of the obstacles that we have to the Christian communities that God calls us to. The appointed offices of my life. To be a father without a cross, is to be a dead branch. I cannot love my kids unless I lay down my life. To be a husband without a cross, is to be a dead branch. I cannot serve my my wife and love her the way that Christ loved the church, without laying down my life. To be a pastor without a cross is to be a dead branch, run. (laughs) I cannot love the flock among me unless I'm willing to lay down my life to serve you. And God chose you and he appointed you and whatever way those appointments of father or son or husband or wife or sister or daughter or neighbor, whatever the way the Lord is calling you to abide in the vine so that the father can be glorified in you, If it doesn't have a cross, you will be a dead branch. You cannot love your neighbor without laying down your life. Their music will be too loud. Their license plate will be from the wrong state. (laughs) And whatever the choosing and the calling is of your life, there is no greater love. There is no greater way to say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours, than to lay down your life and in laying down your life, you abide in Christ and you experience his joy and you require the power of the Holy Spirit. So may you abide in Christ this week. We're going to take communion as a symbol of our abiding in Christ. Take this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. This is the cross in our hands and as we accept it, we say we're forgiven and we're saved and we're sent. And if you have never accepted the free gift of the cross to bring you into the vine, to graft you into the vine of Christ. Today, he chose you and appointed you to listen to a message. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Your life will wither and die. But in Christ, the true vine, you will have life. If you desire that life, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I'd like to be part of your family. May I please have the born again spirit inside of me to which he will say yes.